you're here this morning, and uh, hope that you've been having a good weekend thus far. Maybe you haven't got yourself too overheated. Um, weather's been kind of rude here lately, not just hot, but humid, so thankful that you're here. If you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to open up to the, to the book of Philemon. That's where the majority of our uh, lesson will come from this morning. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Philemon, find the book of Hebrews and go back one page. Um, if you were to, to be so bold as to seek to memorize an entire book of the Bible, well, you'd probably start with 2 John because it's only 13 verses. And then you might add 3 John because it's only 15 verses. But then if you needed a, a third book that you wanted to memorize, you, you might go to Jude because it's 25 verses, but so is this small epistle, the book of Philemon's. 25 verses is all it is. And it's a, sort of a, a unique book. Um, it is written from a very personal standpoint. While many of Paul's epistles are written to congregations, the book of Philemon, like the book of two books of Timothy and the book of Titus, are written to an individual. And so it has a very personal feel to it. Uh, it's also a book that's a bit controversial at times. Not really because of what it says, but because of what it doesn't say. Of course, in our country and in our nation, the ideas and the thoughts of slavery are things that, that bring a lot of emotional baggage with them. And rightfully so. You know, many things of, of, um, of that, that to discourage and to see the, the evil behind that practice. But uh, it's not a, it wasn't a new practice with our country. In fact, uh, this book is written addressing a man and his slave and the relationship between the two of them. Uh, and so it, it doesn't come out right out and condemn slavery. And so sometimes it carries a, a negative connotation for those who read it because it doesn't do that. But I'd like to propose that what it does is bring out a, a higher understanding of that relationship and a higher understanding, even greater than if Paul had come and said, you can't have this man as a slave, you can't have any slaves, and condemned it outright. In fact, the verses that we read this morning from our scripture reading, Philemon's chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, and I'm not going to say chapter 1 anymore, I'm just going to say Philemon 8 and 9, but I want you to understand that Paul says, I could come to you boldly and command you to do something that's required because of who I am and because of Jesus Christ. But instead, what I want to do is come to you with a request of love, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. So as we go through this book this morning and study the lesson that it has for us, I want you to keep those things in mind. In fact, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to present sort of a, a thesis statement, sort of a statement that we can carry through this book and, and can help us hopefully bring out a personal application at the end. Then we're going to introduce the characters that are involved in the, in the Scripture. There are many of them, but three primarily. We'll discuss each of them and their place in this epistle. And then after we have seen the thesis statement and recognized the main characters, then we're going to dissect the text and see how our thesis statement and these characters apply in this situation. And then, finally, we'll seek for personal application in the text. So let's start out with this thesis statement, this idea to kind of carry us through our thought. And this is one, I called it a, a new American proverb because I couldn't find where it was written anywhere else and so I made it up. 
And that is that it is better to do one deed for the sake of love than a thousand deeds out of a sense of duty. Now, I'm not discounting a sense of duty. In fact, I feel that in our country and in our society that, that many men particularly need to pick up a greater sense of duty in what they need to, to, to accomplish in this life and in this world. But there are things that we do that we do out of duty that, that we probably wouldn't do elsewise. Now, I sometimes find pleasure in escaping some of the, the issues of life by sitting on my lawnmower. But I don't really cut my grass out of a love for cutting grass. I cut my grass out of a sense of duty. When I go home this afternoon, oh Lord, I please hope that my air conditioner is running and that the power is still on at my house. I love my air conditioning. But I pay my electric bill out of a sense of duty. Imagine this. I come home... It's the middle of August. I bring this gift and I set it before my wife and I say, well, honey, it's our anniversary, so I guess I had to get you something. Now, it might be just exactly what she wanted. But if I present it simply out of a sense of duty, it's our anniversary, I got to get you something. It just doesn't seem to quite have the same feel and appeal as if I bring her something based out of love. And so as this, we go through this epistle and we see the, the, the behavior that Paul is trying to elicit from Philemon, I want us to recognize that where Paul wants to bring Philemon to is not to a sense of duty and what he must do, but a sense of doing what is right and good based off of love. In fact, that seems to be one of the primary foundational elements that Jesus left now, Jesus left a few small, simple commands as he prepared to leave this earth. Obviously, one of them is to go forth and to preach the gospel, but to his apostles, to those closest to him, the most abiding instruction he gave them was love one another as I have loved you. He calls that a great command something to adhere to. And and Paul, I believe, is embodying that. And I believe Paul is trying to pass that on. And as Paul passes that on, so much more good will come from from that obedience. We might call it submission. We will later on call it submission because of love rather than out of duty. And so let's look at the, I've already mentioned some of them, but let's look at the main characters of this particular epistle. The first one, of course, is Paul. And we know Paul as the apostle, but particularly Paul calls himself, as we open this epistle, as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. You see, at this particular time, Paul is not just shackled to Christ, but he is shackled in a prison because of Christ. There are typically four epistles that we assign to Paul having been written while he was in prison. Right? Uh, Ephesians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. I think I got that right. <laughs> I should have wrote that down before I got up here, shouldn't I? This is one of those. In fact, he's going to send this out and carry it by hands of people that he met while he was in prison. 
Paul's going to use that fact, that appeal. If you first open up the book, if you're a friend of Paul's and you read Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? My friend is in prison. My friend is in prison not because he's done some horrible thing, but because he's preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason we are friends is because he helped bring me to Christ, and yet the very thing that bonds us together is the reason that he's in prison. And it brings a sense of, of, of empathy, I would think, for, for Paul and for his position. And so when, when he writes this letter to Philemon, who will be our next character, and he calls Philemon my fellow worker. Well, as a fellow worker, why aren't you sitting in prison next to me? I don't know that Paul's necessarily trying to build a sense of guilt, but he's trying to build a sense of fellowship, and we'll discuss that fellowship here shortly. Philemon seems to be in, in the city of Colossae, okay, the book to which the book of Colossians is written. There's a couple of things that kind of lead us to, to this idea. One, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 17, we have a, a man by the name of, of Archippus, mentioned there in chapter 4 verse 17 telling him to use the gift that he has you find that same name in verse 2 of Philemon in fact it's very possible and I believe probably the case that Archippus could possibly be Philemon's son and if Philemon's son is a preacher of the gospel and Paul is in prison because of preaching the gospel you know that's got to bring a certain sense of Philemon as to the importance of what's going on for his son to be a part of that work. Uh, and so if Archippus is in fact his son, it's the same Archippus in Colossians chapter 4, verse 17, very possible that this letter has come to him by, by means of, of um, Paul in prison to Philemon and Colossae. The other thought is that uh, there's another man mentioned in chapter 4, verse 9, who's also the third character of our book, and it's the man Onesimus. Uh, that Onesimus is said to, to be there uh, with Paul and going to be one of the ones, along with Tychicus, who is going to bring the letter that is the book of Colossians to the congregation there. And uh, that is going to bring it to, to be read there in the church. And so connecting those things together brings us to the understanding that, that well, one, Onesimus carried the letter, and two, that he brought it back to Colossae, and number three, then that Philemon is in Colossae. That's going to play a little bit of a role as we, we continue, as we dissect the, the, the text. The third man mentioned, and I already mentioned, is Onesimus. Now, Onesimus has a, a particular distinction amongst the people. It seems that Onesimus was a slave, a bondservant, verse 16, had been the, the slave, or really, in legal standing, still was the slave of Philemon. But it seems that he had been of no use to him, had run away from him, had caused him some sort of harm, and now he's come into contact with Paul. And Onesimus is now going back to Philemon. And this is the letter that he carries with him. This letter from Paul, as he goes back to Colossae, to face Philemon, being a new man. So let's dissect the text and see how this all works out. Keeping in our mind our thesis statement of doing these things in love. Paul starts out, of course, like I said, describing himself as a, uh, as a prisoner for Jesus Christ. 
He starts out here in the first few verses, verses 1 through 7, describing Philemon's fellowship. Those that are in accord with Philemon. Those that we might say are Philemon's friends, that he would say, yes, I know this guy, and they would be proud to say, yes, I know Philemon. One of those, of course, is Paul. The second one mentioned there in the verse is Timothy. And notice, Timothy is referred to as the brother or as our brother. That's a pretty close bond, a pretty close kinship. We oftentimes refer to each other as brother. Now, I'll ask that, that you not, if you put my name in print somewhere, put my name down as Brother Randy. Because you start doing stuff like that and I end up wearing it as a title rather than as a privilege. I want to be your brother just as you're my brother. But if I was writing something about you, particularly in a, an official document of some sort, I probably wouldn't refer to you as brother, uh, brother whatever, brother, brother Briar. You know, I'm not bestowing a title like, like a reverend or, or pastor or anything like that. But Timothy is a, a, as close a kinship as a brother. And he says to Philemon, our beloved. Oh, we love you, Philemon. And here, Paul, imagine if Paul wrote you a letter and said, I love you. And that's what he's writing to Philemon. As great as we think Paul is, an understanding that he has a relationship kin enough to Philemon to say, I love you, has got to bring great joy to his heart. He calls him a fellow worker, someone that's enjoined in the fellowship of working together. Oftentimes uh, we talk about the way that people make relationships, that women make relationships knee to knee, and men make relationships shoulder to shoulder, working together. Some of the closest relationship you, we will have as, as men is when we're enjoined and work together. But then he draws in a few other people that would be in Philemon's relationship. He brings in Aphia, verse 2. He calls her our sister. Now, many Bible students will, will at least reach the conclusion, I believe it's supported well enough, that Aphia is probably Philemon's wife. And so here we have, you're our brother, and your wife's our sister. We're pretty close, kin with one another. And Archippus, which we've already mentioned, that's probably his son, is our fellow soldier. Now, a fellow soldier and fellow worker are two different things. In fact, if you look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, you'll find that same phrase used for the same man, fellow worker and fellow soldier. One of them is working side by side. One of them is fighting. Soldier's job is to fight. And so Archippus, we said, was probably a minister himself, preacher himself. He's fighting the good fight of faith. And we're all together in this. In fact, you have an extended fellowship. You have the church that meets in your house. Oh, we're all loving one another. We're all working together in this. And then I just a few more folks. It's rather important people, though. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father. You're my brother, you're my sister. Why? Because we've got the same Father. Our Father and the Lord. We also have the same Lord, Jesus Christ. These are all people that Paul is saying, you know, we're all in this fellowship together. This fellowship that he says, with which I can thank God always when I remember you in my prayers. We talked about what is fellowship, those people working together that you'd be proud to say you know, that would be glad, proud to say they know you. Paul says, when I pray to God, I'm proud to tell God that I know you. 
that we're together in this fight, that we're working together in this fellowship. Why? Why are you so proud to be a part of the fellowship with me? Well, because I hear of your love, and I hear of your faith. I hear of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hear about your love for Him and for all the saints. I hear about your love for the faith. Every report I get about you is how much you love being a Christian. And not just that you love it and that you have faith for it, but that you share it, verse 6. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. My prayer is that we, in our work together, because of our love for the faith and for saints and for those who, who are without, that all, it may work together. I'm praying that our efforts together all are fruitful. For I have derived much joy and comfort from knowing that's the case. From knowing that your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints, have been refreshed through you. You're not just saying it. You're doing it. You're not just talking the talk. You're walking the walk. You are taking care of, of those in the fellowship of the saints. That's the fellowship that Philemon has. Up to this point, if I'm Philemon and I'm reading this letter from Paul, I'm feeling pretty good. Oh, Paul, thank you. I, I appreciate the, the, the kind compliment. Yes, I, I'm, I'm trying, doing my best to share the faith. I'm doing my, my best to spread the love. I'm doing my best to bring others to Christ. I'm doing my best to comfort those who are in Christ. I'm doing, I'm doing everything I can. Thank you, Paul. Then we flip to Philemon's dilemma. You see, Paul says, Accordingly, though I am bold in Christ to command you to do what is required... Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. That's equivalent to, we need to talk later. I don't know what it is yet we need to talk about. But I'm pretty sure any time that says, we need to talk later, chances are I got something I got to fix. I got something that, that I need to, to work on. Paul says, I could tell you what to do. But I know the love that you have. I know the faith that you have. And I'd rather appeal to your love and your faith than to bring down a duty that you must carry out. So Paul puts this dilemma before him. He says, I, Paul, an old man and, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. Bringing that back. I appeal to you for my child. If I stopped right there and I'm Philemon, all thumbs up. Okay. You don't have to go any farther, Paul. We've already established that I'm a good person. We've already established that I'm doing everything I can out of love and out of faith and out of fellowship for the love of Christ and His church. And if He's your son, then I'll do whatever needs to be done for Him. You appeal to Him, to me, I'm all in it. Who is it? Onesimus, your runaway slave. Oh. Your son, your child, whose father I became in my imprisonment. You mean Onesimus was in prison with you and you became his father in Christ? Hmm. 
What am I going to do with that? Now, Paul's not ignorant to, to the situation in the past. Paul's not ignorant to the fact, verse 11, he says, he was formerly useless to you. Now, I don't know whether that's just because he wasn't a very good servant or just because he ran away or because maybe he was doing, uh, he was not just not serving well, but he was bringing harm to, to Philemon and perhaps Philemon was punishing him and that's the reason he ran away. I don't know the full backstory. Paul simply sums it up as, I know he was useless to you, which is kind of ironic and we're going to see some, a little bit of, of play on words here. The word Onesimus actually means to be useful. He says, I know his name means useful, but I also know he wasn't useful to you. But you know what now? Now that I'm his father in Christ, in my imprisonment, he's my child, he's been very useful to me. He wasn't useful to you as a slave, but he's useful to me as a child of God. So what are you going to do with that, Philemon? I'm not sending him back to you. Sending my very heart. I'm not just sending somebody, I'm just not sending him back to you out of duty, out of the fact that he, is a, that he was your slave and I caught him and I found him and I'm making him go back. But Paul recognizes that according to the law, he still legally belonged to Philemon. Regardless of Philemon or Paul's and definitely Onesimus' ideas about slavery and who belong, who, what man should own another man, Paul says, according to the law, he's, he's broken the law. And I'm going to send him back to you. And it hurts my heart to send him back to you. Now, I had this idea. I'd have been glad to let him stay here with me and giving you credit for it. That, that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Mm. I want you to do it out of love. I would rather you do this one deed out of love than a thousand deeds out of duty. For this perhaps is why, with a little providence in there. Paul says, I don't know, perhaps this is why he left you in the first place. Left you for a while. That you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, no longer as a slave, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Of which way is Onesimus of more value to you, Philemon? Is he of more value to you as a slave? Or is he of more value to you as a brother? You see, because Philemon's dilemma now is the fact that Onesimus is no longer just his slave, but now Philemon, but now Onesimus is in the fellowship of Paul and Timothy. And if Philemon is in the fellowship of Paul and Timothy and, and Epaphria and Archippus and Onesimus is in that same fellowship. Well, now we're all in the same fellowship. Now Paul is praying to God for Onesimus the same way he's praying to God for Philemon and for the work that they're doing. 
And so Philemon now has a decision to make. Do I carry through with the duty of making him my servant? Or do I do something out of love to benefit the Lord? Now Paul kind of changes his tune just a little bit. Not much. Takes it a little bit more personal. And he talks about now we have Philemon's friend. In fact, he starts out the next verse, verse 17. So if you consider me your partner. Well, Paul, sure I do. You've already called me your fellow worker. Yeah, we're buddies. Yeah, we are side by side in this fight. If you consider him, me your partner, then consider him your partner. Receive him the same way you would receive me. Now I term this Philemon's friend. I'm going to let you determine whether that friend should be Paul or whether that friend should be Onesimus. Who is now Philemon's friend? Well, Paul, you don't understand what he did. Paul, you don't understand how much it cost me because he, because he left or what he did that led to his leaving. Paul says, if he has wronged you at all, if he owes you anything, you put that on my account. I'll pay for it. I'll cover it. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, just in case you think somebody else said it. I will repay it. Whatever it is, put it on my account. I'll pay it. I'm good for it. You know, the entirety of the gospel and the salvation that it provides is based upon someone else paying a debt that I owed for my sins. Paul is just a small embodiment of that in this case of saying, I will pay for the sins of someone else. And I don't know, you know, you may say, well, how can Paul do that? And I think it's because Paul recognizes that in that fellowship we were talking about, that fellowship so much is with Jesus Christ, and He paid it for me, and so, how much more? How small, really, in comparison, for me to pay it for someone else? Even if it is physical wealth on this earth. I'm reminded of the parable that Jesus tells of the, the king that called in the servant that, that owed the, the, the ten times a lifetime in debt. And when he was going to be cast into prison, he begged for, for, for mercy and, and, the, and the, the ruler dismissed his debt and sent him on his way. And as soon as he went out, he found that other servant that owed him a couple of days' wages. And instead of showing the same mercy for that servant, he took that servant and he cast him into prison and he said, you'll never get out until you pay me the very last penny of everything you owe. And when the king heard that, he didn't take too kindly to it, did he? So here is Philemon, who owed a great debt because of sin, I know he owed a great debt because of sin, because every man owes that debt. And Paul has brought the message of the gospel in some way, form, or fashion to Philemon so that he is relieved of that debt. And now he's sending back someone, Onesimus, that owes Philemon. No matter what great 
material harm Onesimus has done to Philemon, it is still small and pales in comparison to the harm that, from which Philemon had been forgiven to God. So Paul says, I'm not going to really mention how much you owe me. Not to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. We're not going to talk about that really, just, but just know it's there. Yes, brother? Onesimus wasn't of much use to you, was he? He's of great use to me. Yes, brother, verse 20, I want some benefit. I want you to be useful in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Remember who Paul said he sent him? I sent you my heart. I want my heart to be refreshed knowing that the decision you make and how you determine your dilemma on what you do with a slave that ran away who's now a brother, I want to know that whatever decision you make lets my heart rest knowing it was made from the same standpoint from which Christ gave His life for you. One deed for the sake of love. Not for the sake of duty, but because He loved us. Paul says, I'm confident. I'm writing this to you because I'm confident of your obedience. And I think every version I looked at said obedience there, that seems a little bit strong compared to verses 8 and 9 where he says, I'm not going to command you, I want you to do it out of love. So that word can also carry the understanding of compliance. And the, the root part of that word, obedience there, comes from the idea of see under. Uh, to, to see something under. And so if I can see under the foundation for why this decision should be made. If the reason this decision should be made is simply out of duty, then if I can see that, I will obey it. If I can see that this decision needs to be made out of love, then I can come into compliance with it, and it's not near as difficult. I am confident that not only will you comply, but you will do so much more than what I ask, what I say. What did you say, Paul? Receive him in a fellowship just like you were receiving me. And just a little friendly reminder along the way, he gives him a little view of his future, of Philemon's future. He says, I'm going to get out of prison and I'm going to come to your house. I'm sending Onesimus to your house now and I'm sending Onesimus with a request based off of love and in the future I'm coming to your house and guess what? I'll know what you've done at that point. In fact, make a room for me because I'm staying at your house. I'm praying I, through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Do you want me to come to your house? You know, we're... You're going to go to the Lord's house one day and he'll know what we've done. And whether we've done it out of the sense of duty, whether we've done it out of the sense of love, or whether we've just refused to do it. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greeting to you. He's going to know what you've done. Mark's going to know what you've done. So do Mark. Aristarchus is going to know what you've done. Demas is going to know what you've done. Luke, my fellow workers, they're going to know what you've done. Have you been a part of the fellowship? And then he ends with this. He ends with with Philemon's future. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We sometimes talk about the word grace being a gift, receiving something that we didn't deserve. I don't know that Onesimus could ever say that he deserves the forgiveness of Philemon. I know that Philemon, Onesimus, Paul, Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and me all share one thing. We can never deserve the forgiveness that Christ brought to us. It's grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said that Onesimus very likely carried this letter to the church at Colossae. You notice in verse 2 of Philemon that that church most likely met in the house of Philemon. And so it's very possible, in fact very probable, that Onesimus carried the book of Colossians and the book and this letter, this letter to Philemon, both to the congregation. And I don't know which one got read first by Philemon. But Colossians chapter 4 verse 1 uses these words. Masters, that would include Philemon, Treat your bondservants, that would include Onesimus, justly and fairly, knowing this, that you also have a master in heaven. I don't know which one of those that Philemon read first. And I don't know what decision that Philemon made on his dilemma. It's not really important that I know what he did. What's important is I know what I would do. Not only do I know what I would do, but that I do what needs to be done in that fellowship. And so, sort of like our thesis statement, our application is that. What would you do and why? You see, it's been very well established in this letter that Philemon is a good person. It's been very well established that Philemon is strong in the faith and of the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And Paul has written with great confidence that because of that, because of his love and because of his faith, that he will not only do what was requested, but that he will do so much more. And so if you say, well, then yes, I, I, no, no problem. I'm going to do what is requested. I'm going to do it out of love. Then the application is, then are you doing it? And are you doing so much more because of the love of the fellowship we have in Jesus Christ and the faith we have that His grace will save us. You see, Jesus came to this earth and died not out of duty, but He came to this earth and died because He loved us. God sent His only begotten Son to this earth that whosoever believeth in Him might not perish, but have eternal life. Those who would confess that Jesus is Lord, repent of their sins and be baptized into His body, and do even more 
than what is required by duty. But do as Christ loved us, love one another. If you're here this morning and you need to give your life to Him, not out of duty, but out of love, we pray that you come now while together we stand and while we sing.